Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good, good to be here at Hope, Hope West, and greeting to those of you who are over at Hope East. Uh, unfortunately, this was another week where a uh, thing in the news uh, hits you hard. Um, I've had a very, very busy week, and so I've mostly just got my news from my phone blowing up on, on different things. But um, as I've had a chance a little bit to talk with uh, my wife, and then I was spent the day with my mom on uh, Thursday night and Friday, I just bought the, the shooting in uh, Parkland, Florida. Uh, your heart just goes out to this. And, um, and if there's anyone who needs to be convinced that there's real evil in the world, there's, I can't think of anything that just highlights it and just says, there, just look at that. In fact, uh, the superintendent of the Parkland, Florida school district said, this has been a day where we've seen the worst of humanity. And that's very true. And so, um, boy, we, we need to do things, no doubt, but more than anything, we know the answer to evil. And the answer to evil is Christ, and the answer that he offers is the gospel. And so I just like to pray for Parkland, Florida, for our country, for our world. Just if you just open uh, this time together in the word, just in prayer here. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you because there's nowhere else to go. Uh, things like this happen and they shake us up and uh, they remind us of the fact that we live in a beautiful, wonderful, uh, created place, but also that it's also fallen and there's real evil here. So Lord God, as I saw images of people, some still with the images of going to an Ash Wednesday, Wednesday service on their forehead as they were mourning, God, would you just be with those people? Would you be with the victims? Would you be with the families? God, would you even be with the shooter and his family? God, would the gospel ring that even though this is a wicked act, that, the, that Christ died for wicked acts? And so, Lord, I pray for the people that are dealing with this, that are going through this. I pray that they would turn their hearts towards you and not away from you in this time. Uh, be with our country. Bring healing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no good way to transition out of that, so I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to transition. Um, I have a little thing that we have been planning to do here with everyone, and that's to give you a financial report, which is a horrible transition out of this. But I, I, I wanted to, um, we did talk a lot. And if you weren't at any of the other meetings we've been at, annual meetings or other things like that, maybe you, you may have seen a few things. But I just want to let you know kind of how. If you, if you remember, we needed about 400000 Dollars, which is about 20-some-odd percent of our budget to come in, uh, we received 491000 So I went to public school, and I know that that number is bigger than that number, which <laughs> is good. So, yeah, and it ended up being about $1,000 short of our giving to budget, which was strange, but we spent, underspent by about $140,000. So that means praise God. So, yeah, we can definitely <laughs> praise God. So... The, the other piece to the puzzle here is uh, when we looked at the budgeting process for this next year. And as we looked at that, uh, for a variety of reasons, and not only some of the financial issues we're having at the end, we, we just looked at it and said, we think it's strategic to do basically a 0% budget increase. The cost of living went up by 3%, but our budget went up by 2.7%, so we're basically Flatlining, I know that says, wait a minute, that's not flatline, that's up by 2.7%, and that's the way uh, politicians talk too. But it, it kind of it is a zero because, you know, a dollar is a dollar three this next year, and so it's the same. So that's 2.261501, if you're doing the math here, uh, million dollars. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Anybody got that in their pocket this morning? Uh, no? Okay, so... Uh, that means we need weekly $42,800. I remember when that was very close to our annual budget. <laughs> Actual, our annual first annual budget was $98,000. Two and a half weeks here at home. So 
and, and I talk to new church planters, and they go, oh, man, I wish I was where you were. I'm like, no, you don't. Uh, no, one or two people can help you out when you're in trouble. Uh, you know, we, we got to sell, sell all the sheep we own to get. Uh, so how does that work? And I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. We don't have anyone that takes care of the first digit of that. You know, there's not one person that says, I, you know, I'll take the first digit. I'm taking care of the last two. But <laughs> no one takes care of just, you know, oh, here's a couple million bucks and then let everybody else. So what we've always said at Hope, and this is the way it kind of works, it's that people are giving according to their means. And they're giving generously. And that's what's happened at Hope. We have, we have a variety of people, and there you can see it, with no more than a $1,500 a month gift, which I think there are people that give more than that, and I, that's great. And again, I don't know. I don't look at what people give. That's not, not the deal there. But you can see this grid just kind of shows. You can make a $2.2 million budget without anyone giving super substantial amounts. Now, if God has laid it on your heart to give a super substantial amount, Praise God and pass the plate is what I'm saying. But there you go. <laughs> but that's not necessarily the best way to run a railroad because then you can become dependent on just a few individuals. This is, this is communism at its best, right? Socialism, man. For the, those of you college students who are leaning into socialism now, I know you are because that's what every freshman does. It's like, that's a beautiful system. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Hope Community Church. So... So there you go. It just kind of shows there. One of the things we're trying to do now, and I'm going to, get, I'm going to show you a picture of it here, and I'll put it online. It's, it's actually, it goes like this. It's not meant to be printed, but it would look like this if you printed it out on a couple pages. It's a, it's a new thing we're doing just to give uh, updates of how things are going financially. And you can look at that, and it gives interesting information about how many people are giving, weekly giving, the budget, how we're doing on that. And then it has a cool thing, if you look on your right over there, which says Ministry Impact, it just talk about something significant that happened in the month of January. And, it, and this time it shares about what we were able to accomplish with the Super Bowl, uh, partnering with uh, Source, their team, and some of those things. And so you can see that. If you're a member of the church, you get that in your covenant update uh, that's on the city. If you're not a member and you just go to click on where it says Give, it will come up, and you can, it's one of the buttons. Even if you don't intend to give, you just want to see this, you can do that there as well. Now, again, why do we do this? We do not do this in order to just make a budget. We do this because cool things are happening. And one of the things, ways this reminded me of it this, this, uh, this month or just this week, actually, was I had a chance to go to the annual report of Acts 29 Church Planting Network, which we're a part of. And in the annual report, there are 11 different districts they call them networks, just the way you, you say things. But there's 11 different networks. And if you click on the Midwest one, this is what comes up. There's the Midwest, U.S. And guess what that's a picture of? Lower Town. That's our place. And this is not one of those things where many pictures go across. No, 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 no. <laughs> one picture, it's us. And I had nothing to do with this. I just saw it there and I went, oh, that's so cool. And that they're, they're celebrating uh, none of the... None of the text goes about us, but who cares? Nobody reads anyway. It's just the picture, right, that matters. And, and there it is, the celebration of a new expression of the gospel in Lower Town, St. Paul. So we're, that's, that's why we do this. That's what we're doing. We're not trying to just raise a budget to raise a budget. Okay, with that said, let's get after what we're, what we're really, hopefully, excited about this morning. I know I am. I have thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time in the book of Exodus. We're in our fifth message here, so if you got a Bible with you, open it up to chapter 4 uh, as you get there, or if you want to look on the insert, there's always an insert, a physical one you can get at the entrances to the, to the sanctuaries here at East or West, or you can just go online. If you just go to hopecc.com, it'll come right up in the bottom there, and you can click on it, you get an electronic version of it, kind of lets you know where we're going. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. Let me just give you a very quick recap because really last week's message and this week's message were just one message. It's really one long message, which you're thinking, well, that's every week at Hope. Now, this would have been a really long message. 
Again, you're saying, that's every week at Hope. I know, I know. But th- this would have been a two-hour message because it, it really, it, 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 there's too much going on for one week. So we, we, last week we saw uh, Moses meets God in this remarkable manifestation of this burning bush. And he goes towards it, and God calls out to him. Then he says, stop where you are. Don't come any closer to this place. Remove your sandals. This is holy ground. And we have no idea what it looks like. And this is what the Charlton Heston movie made it look like or something like that. And I need to, in order for for you to understand, I need you to see this conversation. After God tells Moses, you're my guy, you're going back to Egypt to let the Israelites go, and Pharaoh's going to let you go, okay? He's already said that, and now I need, we need to pick it up here in verse 11, and I need to walk you through the rest of this chapter, because otherwise, this won't, if this is your first week here and you weren't here last week, some of this won't make sense. There's going to become questions that he's going to ask. Last week, they leaned into questions. If all we had was last week's chapter 3, you'd go, those are, those are legitimate questions. But you see them, and they're going to crescendo, and it's like, oh, these are not questions. These are, these are yabats. Yeah you know what I mean? I'll get to the yabats yeah later. These are, these, are, these are objections, but you don't really see it at first. First thing he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And uh, then Moses, uh, excuse me, so you see this where he says that, uh, who, who, who am I? I'm not really a big deal, you, you, you know. And God replies back, I'll be with you. That's the answer. Not about you, Moses. It's about me. And then he gives him this sign, this sign that's gonna happen. Uh, interestingly enough, the sign is gonna happen after he gets you know, he does the job. So obedience comes first and then proof, which is kind of interesting. So that's what's going to take place. This will be a sign to you that uh, I am, it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God. You'll come right back here and you'll worship me. And then he says, well, who are you? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And then God drops the mic and just drops this incredible, first I guess he speaks, then he drops the mic. Uh, he says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am. And if you remember last week, we went into this, I is, I am ising, I just always am. It's this awesome view of God. Uh, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So this understanding of the name of God, and it's not a personal name like like Bob or Sue. It, it's, it's, a, it's a name that gives his character and who he is. I am I am concerned, I am there, I am powerful, I am always, I'm always in the now. That's who God is, okay? And then he tells them, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into 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 the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then he says this. This is very important. You catch this. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Okay? He promises the elders will listen to you. So he's saying that right off the bat. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey. Again, we showed, talked about how that actually means we're leaving, we're out of here, into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I'll stretch up my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So that's important too. The Israelites will listen to you and Pharaoh ultimately, it's not going to happen immediately, ultimately he's going to let you go. Not only that, and I'll make the Egyptians favorably dis, uh, disposed toward his, this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you'll plunder the Egyptians. What's promised there? You're my guy. You're going. I want you to gather the the Israelite elders, and they will listen to you. Two, go to Pharaoh. He won't listen to you in the beginning, but eventually he will. And three, you're taking the goodies. Okay, see that? You got to see that in order for this to make 
sense today. So we're going to continue on. This is just one continual conversation where we're at today, but now we're going to see the reluctance of Moses. We're going to see what I'm calling here a very, very uh, reluctant leader and what he is going on. So here we go. Uh, Chapter 4. Going to dive into it. All right. Here we go. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now, I'm going to do something here that uh, is very dangerous, very dangerous. I'm warning you, but it's okay. It's okay. We're all friends. We're among friends here. And I'm going to do some sanctified guessing on what is going, what's, the, what's going on behind the question. In other words, what's going on in the mind, what's the voices going on in Moses' head? Moses's? Mo, Moses? Mo, Mosai? How do you, whatever you do there. Uh, Moses' head, Mosai, that's kind of funny. Uh, what's going on in his head at that time? Right? So let's just try to flesh that out a little bit. God just promised that they will listen to you. So there's already this kind of like, do you understand what you're asking me to do, right? You promise this is gonna happen, and I'm just, I'm, I'm kneeling here in, in, in a fetal position in front of this burning bush thing, so you're obviously awesome, but are you really aware of what you're asking me to do? And it's very interesting. One of the objections, we'll see, we're gonna, we're gonna go through three objections today. One of the objections is not, that Pharaoh's never gonna let you go. God just, or Moses just assumes that that one's gonna work. It's more the people of Israel he's worried about. Now that's interesting. So what's going on in his brain? Think about this for a second. First of all, Moses already once, uh, back in chapter two, tried to help the people of Israel. Didn't go so good, right? And he knows what it's like to have observed he himself was not enslaved by, by Pharaoh, but he knows what it's like to be that people. And they are typically very frightened. They are, they've been brutalized by this king. They're planning an uprising is terrifying to them because they know what that could get them. Incredible uh, amounts of brutality back towards their people. So Moses is thinking about that and saying, more than just getting all these people out is actually that they would believe me that you would be the one that is there, that you'd be the one that would take control of this situation, God. I don't think they're going to buy that. Now, let me go back to the first two words here just for a second. Um, What if, right? Moses had said this a second time. Suppose, right? This time he says, what if? Now, I admit this. I I have a reaction to the word what if, and, and here's why. Because in the Trichler household, when the boys were young, we had what we called forbidden words, okay? There were forbidden words. And here's the list. There are five. Yabat. Yabat. You know what yabat means? I'm totally dismissing what you just said, Dad. Yabat, or yabat, we used to say it was one word. Here's my deal. It's like, no, 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 no. No, not, not, we're not going to play yabat. Second one, how come? Right? Here I just gave you a list and then they just say, you're going to do this. How come? That is where the typical because I'm your dad comes in, right? How come I'm your dad? How come? It's the way God did it, right? End of story. How come? Right. What if, or excuse me. Uh, yeah, but how come? The, the typical, are we there yet? That's just got to go for obvious reasons. That one's gone, right? The other one won, and this is a gift. I'm giving you the gift of all gifts, parents. You have little kids. <sighs> No repeating anything more than three times. John's got a girlfriend. John's got a girlfriend. John's got a girlfriend. John's got a... Three times! Stop! Right? Every time. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's three times. No more. <sighs> Otherwise, it's just incessant in the backseat of the car. And if I can just reach you back there, right? Okay. And then the last one is, what if? What if was instituted by... Uh, one of my children, which I'll rename Nameless Calvin. And um, Calvin was the master of negotiating at bedtime, right? So he'd I'd, you'd go to bed, okay, he's in bed. And, and it's, it's really, really quite simple, right? You're here, you're to go into your bed. It's a, 
it's a uh, horizontal place, and you stay there. And then I go back downstairs, and then I turn around, and there's Calvin. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 I, I, I told you to go to bed. Yeah, 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 but, you know, yeah, but, or whatever. Okay, no, 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 yeah, but. But then he would get, I'd say, after two or three times, I'd put him in the bed, and I'd say, you're staying in this bed no matter what. Now, I just spoke in the absolute, right? Once you speak in the absolute, all they got to do is come up with one case that doesn't work in the absolute, and then you can break it, right? What if the house is on fire? And then I'd say, you're going to die. Because you're not getting out of this bed. Homie, don't play what if, okay? Plus, if you get out of the bed and I come looking for you, I don't know where you are. So just wait here. I'll come and get you here. No more what if. You know, this is after four or five times. What if? And here Moses is going with what if. What if this? What if that? Starts throwing this stuff in there. Now look at God's answer. God is going to give, and I love this phrase, pushback. I love when people say that. Mind if I give you a little pushback? In other words, mind if I completely disagree with your stupid argument? But anyway, uh, it's called pushback nowadays, and that's a good thing. Listen to what God says here. This is so good. Listen to what God says. He's going to give them three signs about this that they won't believe you. But instead of saying, oh, Moses, they'll listen to you. (laughs) I already said that. I already told you that. You didn't believe that. He starts with a question. And I love when God answers questions with questions. Right? What's that in your hand? Well, it's a staff. Throw it on the ground. Okay, throws it on the ground. Right? And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. So he throws this. It's a, it's a piece of wood, in case you don't know what a staff is. It's just, a, it's just a, you know, a walking stick, basically. He takes the staff, and he throws it on the ground. And when it hits the ground, it becomes a snake. The burning bush thing is, is wild, okay? There's a bush. It's, not, it's burning. We see that every now and then, but this one's not burning up. That's kind of crazy. When I throw wood to the ground, it normally doesn't become alive. And here this miracle happens, and it's a snake. And Moses runs from the snake. Why does he run from the snake? Because his great, 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 great grandson is Indiana Jones who says, snakes, why did it have to be snakes, right? He's a, everybody's afraid of snakes, right? He's, what's that? Sorry, that didn't land as funny as I thought it would. <laughs> Indiana Jones, movie in the 90s, 80s. Anybody? Okay. So, throws it on the ground. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Moses is middly. Trust God for that. Reached out his hand, took a hold of the snake, and as soon as he grabs it back by the tail, it turns back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. But let me keep going there, Mr. What If. Then the Lord said, before Moses even says, what if they don't, uh, no, 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 no. Put your hand inside your cloak. That hand you had on the staff, Put it in the other hand and put it inside. I mean, puts it in there, puts his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, <laughs> the skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak. <laughs> so Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Oh, 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 right? It's just amazing healing that God is, is doing right there. And then he says this, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then they, believe the, then they may believe the second. But Mr. Yabot, what if, I'm going to give you a third one. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. I'm going to change this water into blood. Now, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. We're going to see that's one of the plagues coming up here. That's going to come later. But this is to convince primarily the people of Israel. In that region, the Nile River was known as the source of life. It was a huge deal because that's where you got all your water. I mean, water is a big deal. And if you think, oh, that's so antiquated. No, it's not. Look on a map of the United States. Almost every major city is by some body of water, probably a river or or something. We still do it today. Uh, Minneapolis, right? So you, you have this, this need for water, and even so much so, I'm not going to read it here, but even so much so the ancients uh, prayed to the Nile or prayed to the God of the Nile, 
And here's a hymn written to Aton, one of the gods, but for the, praising them for the Nile and the great river Nile and all these things. And, and that's what it was about. And so when God says, I'm going to take this great river and change it into blood, which is now not good for anything you need water for, it is a, a way of saying, I, let them know that I am, I am greater than any god out there, small g. Any other, somebody perceive there's some other deity out there, that is, that is not the case, Moses. All right. So you think, great, Moses is going to get you up. Nope, he has another question. Moses said to the Lord, not really a question this time, this time it's a statement. Pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> I like that. It's like being polite with God even though you're disagreeing. Pardon, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I ain't not a good talker, right? Now, there, people think all kinds of things about this. So there's a lot of could be. So let's go inside the head again. Every time we have an objection, I want to go inside the head. We're going to do some speculating because it doesn't say here. It could be one of the, one of the things that uh, quite a bit of people have said that this was just a way of saying, I'm not a big deal. I'm not an important person. Who am I and who is my family that you have brought me thus far, even says King David later on. And so it, it could be that. It could be that he was not a persuasive speaker, right? He could have been that he just was not someone who was eloquent or could really make fine arguments, uh, again, and then, and then uh, lastly, it could be literally that a speech impediment, that he really did have problem speaking. Most people lean against that because uh, when you read the rest of the book, Moses does a lot of talking uh, to Pharaoh and others later on. They lean that was probably one of the others as well. So somehow this, this thing where Moses is getting in in his mind that it's about the power of my argument or my, the power of how I'm going to do this that people will believe me from the Israelite elders or even Pharaoh, and that's what's really going to matter. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I, this is an understatement. I, I love God, and I just love the way he deals with things, but the way he deals with this is with four sarcastic questions. And then a command. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? This is not one of those questions where God, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals where you're, you're, you know, you're six years old and you're in trouble and, you're, and your mom asks you and says, who gave you permission to do that? And you start to speak and she says, don't you talk back to me, right? In other words, this is not an answerable question. There's no space there for Moses to answer back. This is an obvious question. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Yes, Moses, it is I, the Lord. I'm asking you to do something, and you're complaining about something you don't have. I'm the one that does all this. And then he says two words. Now go, and I'll help you speak, and we'll teach you what to say. He totally deals with the issue. So... Moses, now we get to the big aha. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> you, you must be able to think of someone who's a little better at this than I am. I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons here. I'm 80. Uh, I got a, kind of got a full-time gig here going. I got a lot of things. Could you just find somebody else? So what's going on in the mind of Moses? This one's easy now. We finally are getting to honesty. I don't want to do this. I'm not doing this. You know, I'm not. I'm not doing this, and that's been my heart from the beginning. So all these other, other questions I've had were smokescreen. Please send someone else. Now, uh, so when, when we get here, we see that the Lord's anger now burns against Moses. All right, so God now is angry. Other times he's dealing with it, but when Moses finally comes super clean, he says, I I'm not going. God's now angry with Moses. Now, why is God angry with Moses? Well, and you're going to say, how does a used car salesman fit into this? And here's how it fits in. I remember looking, I, I am one of the six people on the planet who absolutely love buying cars. And the more sleazy the guy I'm buying it from, the more joy I get. <laughs> I guess like finds itself in happiness or whatever. But I love 
to deal on cars. I mean, it's like one of my favorite things. I, I've even told this in sermons before. I get people say, can you help can you buy a car? Yes, answer to my prayer, I'd love to. So I, I just love dealing with people on, on these kind of things. And I remember one time when I was looking for a specific car, that he, he the, <laughs> I came to this guy's dealership and we walked out and he just stopped. And you know, they use the trick. Oh, I love all their tricks, it's so good. But he goes, Steve, mind if I call you Steve? And I said, that's my name. And he said, Steve, I tell you what, if I find the right model year, the, the right car in the right price with the right miles and the right color and the right interior, will you buy today? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I love playing their game, right? What's he doing? He's asking, are you wasting my time? Are you here really looking for a car? Or are you just kind of, I'm going to see what's out there. What he really wanted, and I love that. Oh, great, Steve, let's go find that car. He didn't have anything near what I wanted, and he knew darn well before, but I, I don't know why. He, but that's his opening line, and I love that. Why? Because he is trying to make sure that, that I'm not just going to keep blowing smoke and not get to the real thing. You know, I'm not actually buying. So he talked me into this one, and it was great. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Moses is there. Those questions, they're not questions. They're not even objections. They're not reasonable objections. God has more than answered every single one of them. Moses just doesn't want to go. So God answers back and he says, what about your brother? He gives him concession. He says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you. So he's coming here right now. And he'll be glad to see you. I don't know what to take about that. He'll be glad to see you. No, anyway. Uh, you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. Right? But you're going. This is not negotiable. Never was a question, Moses. Wasn't a, would you like to go? It's, you're going. You're my guy. And then he says, here's the concession I'm going to give you. Aaron's going to help you. And then I love this last line. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. It's like a mother saying when you walk out, you just got done saying, I need you to dress up good. It's cold outside. And they walk outside and their hat and their gloves and their boots are here. And the kid's going outside. No, 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 no. Take your hat and your, take your, hat and, take your staff, Moses. Right? You're going, though. You're going. And that settles it. Now, that's our passage for today. What are the principles we can extract? What are the gospel implications as we look forward in Scripture? And there's a lot again. And this is not, I'm not, uh, when, you, when you do this on your own, you're in the Old Testament, and you look at principles, there's many you could pick up on. But to me, the one that picks up on here is this reluctance, reluctant leader is actually more than reluctance, is actually disobedient, right? He, he, he's God is asking you to do something, and there's disobedience. I ain't doing it. How does that flesh itself out? I, I love this meme, disobedience. All right? Do not climb, play on or around pipe. And you just see this whole line of kids, and then it says disobedience, the dark side of free will, right? So, so that, that's what we're talking about here. Is there's, God's asking you to do something, and you're just flat out saying, no. Mm -mm. I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't care the rationale. I've determined my mind that I'm not going to do this. So, biblically, who are those people? First guy that comes to my mind uh, is, this is a great picture, uh, is, or painting, uh, Jonah, right? And uh, I always picture Jonah when he got spit out of the whale that he's like, like really bleached white because he's been three days in the belly of a whale and his clothes are half chewed and he reeks like the intestines of a whale and that whole kind of thing. And then he comes up to the Ninevites and he says, repent. What would you do if a guy who looked and smelled like that told you to repent? Dude, I'd repent. Whatever you want me to do, I would do. But that, that's Jonah. And I want to walk you through the book of Jonah real quick. I mean, super cool. I'll pick a few passages just so you can see this pattern of God dealing not with a reluctant but a disobedient person. So it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So it's very interesting. It's important you see, what does what God tell him to do? I want you to preach against this city because they're wicked. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Um, I, 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 with all due respect to maybe what you learned in, in, on your flannel graph pictures, Jonah doesn't run because he's scared. We're going to find that out later. Doesn't run because he's scared. Uh, uh, going down to verse 17 there, uh, he ends up running, he gets on a ship, ends up getting thrown overboard, long story here, but anyway, it says God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We don't know it's a whale, it was a big fish. Big trout, could be. So, and then in chapter two, after, after Jonah has this uh, big long prayer from the belly of the whale, uh, it says the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited uh, Jonah onto dry land. I've never seen a fish vomit, but this one vomits, okay? Now we switch over to what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same thing. Jonah obeyed this time the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message, okay? 40 days and and the wrath of God's coming on the wickedness here. And then it says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. Then all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. In other words, these people repent, even the king. And the king even says there in, in the in verses, just for the sake of time, I cut out. It says, maybe God will relent. Doesn't even know it for sure. Never been promised that. When God saw, verse 10 of chapter 3, when they saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's not the end of the book, though. Chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I know that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I didn't want that on Nineveh. I wanted you to bring the thunder on Nineveh, so I don't want them getting any warning. So I'm not coming. I'm not going. That's why he doesn't go. He's a nationalist. That's why he doesn't go. Hates those people. Now, the Lord, now Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And that's not the end of the book. This pouty prophet, they took a Ninevite and get beat up and then like that, right? And you're talking to an almighty God here, and God still deals with him graciously. And he goes through this little experiment with him and gives him, he brings a hot sun, he's sitting on the hot sun, oh, I want to die, this sucks. And God brings this big vine, and the vine now gives him shade, and, and Jonah loves the vine, he falls in love with the vine, and then God takes the vine away. Little object lesson here. Now Moses, oh, I'm so mad about the vine, I'm gonna die. And then God says this, you've been concerned about this plant that you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. So a lot of people interpret that different ways with the white hand from the left thing. It could just mean there's that many kids They're just so young. It it could just be they're uneducated. I don't know. It's a lot of people, though. And God says, guess what? I love all people. I love all people. And I love you too, Jonah. I could have zotted you out, and I didn't. Go to the New Testament. Probably the the one that is most uh, disobedient running away from God is a guy by the name of Saul, later changed his name to Paul. Saul was a guy who ardently opposed Christianity when it first broke out after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection and ascension into heaven and the church started spreading. Saul, his name was that then, was a persecutor of the church. And he went after and he took part in the martyrdom of Stephen. He would go around and arrest or kill Christians He hated him, and then in Acts chapter 9, on the way to another city to continue to do this, Jesus appears to him. And Saul, now going to be named Paul, is converted. He talks about his conversion in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says this, I, I, I want you to find an overt thing in this book that I broke. You can't, yeah, I dare you. An overt thing. He would never say like, oh, my heart was messed up. 
But like, don't lie. I, I, that, you can't you point me into a lie. Steal, I didn't do it. You know, I just, I'm faultless. And then he says, but whatever were gains to me in that side of the equation, I now consider to be debits or losses for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage or rubbish, or King Jimmy gets it best, dung, poo-poo, right? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This guy totally flips. This guy, he was totally disobedient, and then God does something in his life, changing him. He then writes on the very topic we're dealing with, and the topic we're dealing with is disobedience. How do we do that? And he goes to, when he writes the book of Romans, he deals with this very issue. This is the guy who once persecuted the church, and now he says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? If you've never read the book of Romans, the first five chapters make it clear this. Your salvation, your forgiveness of your sins, the fact that you can have right standing with God is not based on your behavior. It is based on the fact that someone else on your behalf took your sin and gave you his righteousness. That person is Jesus Christ. That's why we're Christians. He did this for us. When he went to the cross, he took my sin, but also more than that, when I trust him, I get his righteousness. It is a crazy, crazy deal. Uh, uh, the song, sing it this morning. Let us sing, let us, uh, sing in wonder, I can't remember the name of it, but anyway, let us wonder grace and justice. Join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, it's very Yoda speak, when through grace in Christ our trust is, right? Justice smiles and asks no more. Do you hear that? So when you're trusting Jesus Christ, the justice of God has been taken care of. It is done. If that's true, and the Apostle Paul believes that's true, because he goes on and on talking in the first five chapters, if that's true, then Paul says, party, right? Let's go all Frontier Hall or T Hall, woohoo, or what's a good one at St. Thomas or whatever? You know, let's just do it. And he says, shouldn't we go on sinning? Then God will get more glory because there'd be more sin for him to forgive. And he says, by no means. Listen, why though? He doesn't say, because you dirty, rotten sinner, if you do that, you're not gonna be heaven bound. He doesn't do that. He says, don't you know who you are? He says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who is been, who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that when Christ, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has master over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't obey it. Why? Because it's not who I am anymore. Do, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, this is important now, because you're not under law, but under grace. It's the Apostle Paul. He's saying, why? Here's ultimately the question. Why obey Jesus? Why obey? Why not just be disobedient? Especially if you understand Christianity where it says, my sins are forgiven. Why obey then? Because the law tells you, you should obey. If you don't do this, this is going to happen, right? But the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says, you should obey. Why? Because if you don't, something bad's going to happen. Guess what? It already happened. The death of Jesus. 
You should obey, and your legal requirement has been paid already, in full, by the work of Jesus Christ. Now the Christian says, I get to obey. I get to obey? I get to obey. Right? Two quick analogies. Last night, Hope had, uh, for, uh, for the... Uh, for the uh, couples here, married couples here at Hope, we had a, a, a formal dance training, right? And uh, in other words, you could learn the waltz and the rumba and electric slide and a few other things. And no, I'm not going to do them. But uh, uh, did, 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 <clears throat> did I want to go to that? <clears throat> no. <clears throat> so, but did I go to that? Yes. Why? Because good husbands do that, and if I don't, then Carol will divorce me. No, I didn't do that. I did because I knew my wife would delight in that. And I delight in making her delight, right? That's why I did that. She even asked me afterwards. She said, wasn't that fun? Uh, it's kind of like that commercial where, where Abe Lincoln is asked by, uh, 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 does this dress make me look fat? Uh, I can't tell a lie, you know. Uh, uh. Are you having fun? Uh, I like being with you, I said. And I think that's a great thing. But aren't you having fun? Well, I don't know if I'd use the word, you know. I don't know if that's what I, the word I exactly use. So then she instantly says to a bunch of people, Steve's not having fun. It's like, uh, okay, if you need me to say something, I'm having fun. Okay, I'm having fun. Why do I do that? Because I delight in her. Not because I'm going to get or receive something. I'm not going to maintain or obtain our marriage. It's already secured. That's what the gospel says. Why obey Jesus? Because I get to. And it's the way of life. And it's the way of joy. But not because I think God's going to squash me out, if not. Now, in my life, there's probably been no better... Uh, oh, I'm going I'm to skip that just for sake of time. Um, there's probably been no better time uh, to explain this than... What happened to me? I believe it was 1994. And in 1994, um, I had a neighbor who was a, was a vile man. He uh, had wormed his way, as Scripture talks about, into living with this single woman. They weren't romantically involved. He just lived there. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he was, uh, when, he, when he wasn't drunk, he was a pretty good guy. But when he was drunk, wow, he was uh, vulgar and just, just yeah, you just... I didn't, he wanted to come into my house once. There's no way this guy was coming to my house. His name was Ted. And I, I awoke, awoke, I awoke uh, Saturday night to an ambulance in front of the house where he was living. It was a Saturday night. It was 1994, I believe, 94, somewhere in there. And I didn't think much of it, but as I, uh, you know, there was an ambulance out front of a couple, a couple uh, doors down. And so then I, um, the next day, uh, ask someone uh, Sunday morning. I asked somebody, what, uh, what was that all about? And I said, oh, it's Ted. He, his liver is gone uh, with all the alcoholism. His liver is gone, and he's got just days to live. I went, oh, okay, wow. So I went to church. I remember going to church. I was uh, interning over Bethlehem Baptist a couple of blocks down here, and I was sitting. I remember where Zach was sitting, right in the balcony up there, uh, except it's not like that, but it's kind of like that. And uh, I was sitting there, and uh, Pastor John Piper was preaching on something. I don't remember what it was. It had nothing to do with what I was thinking. I was just kind of thinking, and my mind kind of went to Ted, kind of like your minds are going somewhere else right now, too, but that's fine. My mind went to Ted, and I thought, huh, he doesn't have long in this life. And it's 1994 or 95, somewhere in there, and I'm starting to think about starting Hope Community Church, and I wanted Hope to be a place where people could meet Jesus who didn't know Jesus. And I'm dreaming about that and hoping for that. And to all of you uh, Pentecostal Charismatics, you're gonna like this, because I felt like the Lord clearly said to me, I want you to go and talk to Ted about me. And I just thought, whoa, that was bad pizza last night. I thought I... <laughs> Just heard God say, go talk to Ted. That can't possibly be what he's saying. And all of a sudden, it was one of those deals where I just had this sense of like heat over me. Like, I need you to go talk to Ted. And then I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, not gonna happen. He's a vile man. I'm not, I don't like Ted. Mm, Ninevite, right? And then I heard, you wanna start a church? reaching people, 
and I'm asking you to talk to one guy, and you won't go? Now, I wish I could say I left that seat and went immediately, but I didn't. I wrestled with that for a day or two, and finally, it didn't leave. It was clear. This was an act of obedience or disobedience. And I said, fine, I'll go. I'll go, God. And so I went to the intensive care unit. Uh, I, I met Ted there. Again, he didn't have any visitors because, again, not, not very well-connected person. And Ted had a tube coming out of his mouth, so he couldn't talk. And, he, and, and the, the doctor said, who are you? And I said, well, it's complicated. I'm his neighbor, and I'm also a pastor in training, and I'm, I just want to talk to Ted. Oh, that's great. Go ahead. And I went to talk to Ted, and I just explained the simple gospel message. How it's... <clears throat> level ground I'm no better than you Ted I'm no better than you and I know you've done some things in your life you've told me about a few of them and if they were known they'd be put in jail but I said uh, level ground we're all sinners and uh, the answer for that is God and Jesus Christ what he did for you Ted couldn't talk. I don't know. But he started tearing up. <clears throat> now, I have no idea if he trusted Christ as Savior. He died the next day. <clears throat> but I knew for me, it was a big deal. <clears throat> Sorry, wow. <clears throat> I haven't thought about this in a while. <clears throat> to say yes to God. This is what you want me to do, God? I don't want to do that. But I will do that. As you're sitting here, what's God asking you to do for his glory and for your joy? And then, will you obey? Let's pray together. God, the fact that you are so incredibly patient with us blows my mind. How incredibly patient you were with Moses and with Jonah, the pouty prophet, and with the apostle Paul, and with Ted, and with me. It blows my mind, Lord. And how many times we say, no, I'm not going. I'm not doing that. God, would you dispel all of our fear of obedience to you? Would you dispel that? Would you make us see that it's a beautiful thing to obey you? Would we be people who start with yes? And Lord, maybe for some people in this room, for the very first time in their life, they want to say yes to you. Jesus Christ, I need you as my Savior, just like Ted did. And I pray that they would right now where they're sitting say, yes, Lord, I take you as Savior and Lord, and I want to follow you right there. We can do business with you. And Lord God, becoming a follower of Jesus is really just one big yes followed by a daily series of little yeses. And I pray for us, God, as a people who are very prone to wanting to say no. Maybe give a good reason why we're saying no. I pray for us, God, that you allow us to repent and turn and say yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name.